panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Three CR eight five five AM digital three CR dot AU. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues and nonstop pansexual music from Johnny Cash. We opened up with Get Rhythm, um, Get Rhythm, Get Creativity. If you get the blues, and well, creativity can be another form of spirit. And it's really important today that we have a chat. Um, well, we don't have to have a chat. We can just sit back and listen because back in May I had the honour and privilege and pleasure of being on a panel to, and, and you'll hear about this in the introduction, to our knowledge, the first government um, body-sponsored panel um, for LGBTI covering all three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. The speakers introduced themselves throughout, as does the moderator, so I won't repeat that. Let's just dive in and listen to part one of the interfaith panel held thank you to the city of Darabin back in May 2015. Thank you very much to Darabin and to everybody for, for being here this evening. I wish to echo the Indigenous Acknowledgement of Country, and as you heard, it's very, and it's very important that we acknowledge the Elders past, present and future. It would be remiss of me not to share that as far as we on the panel are aware, this is an incredibly special occasion because we believe it is the first time that any tier of government, federal, state or local, and I'm, if we're corrected by somebody pointing that out, that's fine, but to our knowledge, this is the first time that we have had uh, specifically getting um, interfaith perspectives, uh, addressing and looking at how we can be more inclusive on a panel, picking up on the, the topics that we're going to be addressing tonight. The first question, which as I said, we're going to discuss Everybody is going to have an opportunity to spend two minutes sharing what their relationship is to the topic of faith and a bit of their background. And we'll start with Sally. Thank you. Acknowledging what a special night this is um, for diversity, which I did an exercise on values a few years ago and found out that was my biggest value. But it took a long time to get there because... If I've got two minutes to try to introduce myself in terms of what is relevant to tonight, um, you know, sort of life is now far more authentic for me. But for the first 29 and a half years, I, I often try to say if my true um, authentic self was to go that way, I was going that way. It was so different. And so it wasn't until I got to, let's say, get the truth about first transgender, one of my areas of identity, that then everything else began to become clearer and I could explore. And so having spent 13 years at a Christian boys' school and also um, um, doing Sunday school in a Jewish setting, they weren't quite right. They didn't feel right for me. I've had to adapt things for myself. So now I'm comfortable with my gender identity as a trans woman, my sexual orientation, which I'll keep it brief and you can ask about in questions, which I'll call bi-slash-pan, and as someone who's open to the idea of multiple ethical relationships, polyamory, I've got those sides sorted out. Where does that fit in and connect for me with faith, spirituality and other things? First of all, I want to say I am one of these forgotten people. I am a theist. I just believe in a God, a spirit. Um, if people have ever heard of the book The Science of Getting Rich, which is not about money, um, by William Wattles, it's sort of that was really what um, was the secret was based on. I believe there's a connection, a spirit, and so that is part of me. I am someone of Jewish background. I love my Jewish community. I don't go to a building. And um, there's a saying in Buddhism: um, my, "I carry my temple wherever I go. My temple is in my temple, so to speak." And um, 
I have a hodgepodge of backgrounds of religion as well. And I'd like to quote something just to finish my introduction, which comes from the Jewish Passover service. And I'll say it verbatim and then just alter it a bit. You shall welcome the stranger, for you are a stranger in the land of Egypt. I want to put stranger in inverted commas, because if you come up to me and you're talking and you're a nice person and you're not harming anyone else, you're not a stranger. Um, Look, I just want to say that I'm really honoured to be here um, and just want to acknowledge Gabby for all the hard work that that she put into making this event possible. It is a big deal. You're right. And... um, and it's and it's a great privilege to be here. I grew up going to Sunday school and wearing the cute little hats and the, and the shoes and all of that. And anyone who knows me would laugh. Uh, until my parents um, got kicked out of church for ministering to hippies because uh, they weren't cutting their hair and putting on suits. And um, and so as a result of that, um, I I went many of my years without church, but and struggled a little bit with my faith because of my sexuality, not knowing if it would be okay for me to go back into a church and not really knowing if I wanted to. But one of the things that that always kind of stuck with me was the relational side of my faith um, in Christ. I'm a a Christian. Uh, I pastor Acts to Faith Church here in Northcote, if I forgot to mention that. And it it was the fact that my relationship with God didn't change when I came out. And as a result of that, I didn't know there was anything wrong. I just started going to these, even though my parents weren't going to church anymore because they had, you know, they had kind of been snubbed. Uh, they kept their faith and they, they encouraged us to, but um, I would just sneak into churches every now and then and just kind of see what was going on and just kind of stay hidden for a while and, uh, until I, I actually went to a gay pride event in California and they had... <laughs> Woo. And uh, they just had it, too. Anyway, and they had a booth there with a church. And I thought, well, that's odd. And uh, so I filled out the paper and all of that. And this girl uh, rung me up a couple of days later. And I'm listening to this voice. And she's telling me about this church where you can be gay. And I'm just like, what? This is crazy. All of a sudden, she says to me, is this Twinkie? And I went, oh, no. You know, because that's the name that people knew me by when I went to the bar. And, uh, you know, and the thing was, is, <laughs> you probably didn't know, that's my partner there, she probably didn't know that. Um, and, and I went, and I, and I didn't know that, that you could be gay and Christian, and I went and I realized, same God, felt the same love, and I was hooked again. Started going to that church, and in fact, that church is the church that has sponsored for me to come out and plant uh, Acts to Faith Church here in Northcote, where we're now providing a safe space um, for people to reconnect um, with God again as well. And it's been an amazing journey, and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. So um, glad to be here. Thanks. My name is Nur Wasame. I am. An imam in the Muslim faith. An imam is like a priest. Um, I come from a Somalian background. I've been active as an imam in Melbourne since 2000 now. Um, mostly based in the southeastern suburbs, so Monash, Clayton, as far as Roville, um, and that side, the bush. You're familiar with that, yeah. Um, yes, I have also been a, a teacher at an Islamic school for a few years. I'm also the convener of Marhaba, Marhaba, which is a social support group that looks after the welfare of LGBTIQ Muslims. Um, the, the group started from my humble lounge room you know after I got a phone call from a school psychologist that was counseling a young girl at an Islamic school who was told that young 16 year old she was told by her mother that if she prayed with the feelings that she was feeling she was feeling a boy trapped in a girl's body the mother said to her that if she prayed with such feelings, you know, her prayers would be cursing her. So, 
I decided to do something, and it has been a personal struggle of mine. And in Melbourne or in Australia in general, there has been a vacuum in the support services for um, a lot of marginalized youth, and we are seeing some of the psychological consequences. Um, so that's when we started the group. We started it for in November 2013. Um, and thank God it has grown from few people who were afraid of even being seen outside in the open just in case a cousin sees an uncle or an auntie or something like that. And all hell breaks loose by the time they get home. So from that fear, which is still there, you know, to we have had our, um, the last meeting was a dinner <coughs> function that we had. Um, we had it out in the open. Um, and the group is growing, you know. Um, there is a lot of um, fear in the Muslim community, you know, because the losses are too great. If one is to come out in the community, they risk being ostracized, marginalized. You lose everything, everything. And not only that, there is even a risk to your life. So, um, you know, when Muhammad came to the Arabs more than 1,400 years ago, there were a group of people that used to bury their daughters alive out of shame. When a man was to be told that you have a new child and it's a daughter, out of shame, he would take the child, the new baby born, hide somewhere in the desert and bury the child alive. <coughs> Those were the Arabs that he came to. You know, we Muslims, unfortunately, have turned 1,400 years later and you see families doing pretty much the same thing. You know, the mother that's telling her daughter that if you pray like this, you know, your prayers are cursing you, that is psychological terrorism, if you ask me. You know? So, um, my intentions are hopefully to highlight that and try to make a difference if I cannot make a change. The first two speakers introducing themselves on the Darabin Interfaith Panel held in May 2015, Becky Bauer from Acts to Faith Church and Noor from Mahaba, an LGBTI Muslim group. Have a short break and return with part two of the Interfaith Panel with more of our speakers introducing themselves. You're on 3CR, 855 AM digital, 3cr.org.au. Out of the pan with Sally. Hi, this is Katie from Little Birdie and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We need your help to support public radio and your local music scene. Three, 3CR 855 AM digital, 3cr.org.au. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show um, covering pansexual issues. And you can get in touch with the show, out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. Text 61401 Look for Sally Goldner or Out of the Pan's Facebook page or tweet at Sal Gold Said So. So without further ado, let's go on to part two of the Interfaith Panel held in the city of Darabin in May 2015 and introduce um, more of our speakers. Well, they're hard acts to follow. Um, my name's Luke Garn. I'm a sociologist and I am currently living up in Ballarat, So, um, although I am from Melbourne, and I teach at La Trobe Uni this semester in sociology. And um, I guess my background and why I'm here today is that I uh, co-edited this book, Heaven Bent, which is on LGBTI people and faith and spirituality. Um, and I think the great thing about Heaven Bent was, was that we were able to actually get someone from LGBT and I in the collection. Um, but also we went not just through 
each of the different Abrahamic faiths, but we also looked at um, some of other ones as well. Um, and by Abrahamic faith, I'm being even more inclusive, including um, Mormonism in the book as well. So it was quite unique to be able to get all of that into this book. Um, and that came out of my sociology research, looking at LGBTI people and, um, or actually what we would actually call same-sex attracted and gender questioning young people um, and their experiences of faith and religion and how that impacted their well health, mental health and um, health well-being. And the outcomes of that study um, were that people who discussed religion um, were actually in, in their lives were more likely to have mental health problems, um, greater risk of um, violence in the home, uh, homelessness, um, a lot of the negative things we found. But we also found some positive things, which I'll probably talk about when we answer some of the questions later. Um, the process of doing that research personally took me on a journey which I didn't expect, which a lot of researchers find happens, in that it made me suddenly have to deal with my own religious side, which is where this book comes about. And you can actually read more about both Sally and I in this book. Um, but I grew up Baptist in the Melbourne East, in the sort of the beginning of what we call the Bible Belt of Melbourne out there. Um, grew up Baptist with a, a mum who probably was still really Methodist, but married into the Baptist church. Um, still played all the old Methodist Wesleyan hymns every day in the morning on the piano for us when we were getting ready for school. Um, I also went to a Christian Science High School, which is quite unique. Um, there is a Christian Science High School in the Melbourne's East, and I studied theology at a Catholic university in Kentucky. So I've had quite a good spectrum. Um, my mum, I would argue, I drove her to drink. Um, if you know much about Methodists, they don't drink. And um, my dad took the pledge to not drink as well when he um, was baptised as a Baptist. And when I came out to them, I came out to my mum after a series of yes and no question and answer on the couch one night, um, where she first off asked me if I was bisexual and when I said no and then I gave her this look and she said, well, are you gay? And I said, yes. Um, the conversation ended. We just sort of didn't talk about it. And a day later, she had gone down the street to where she repeats it as going to visit her Catholic neighbours and she had her first glass of champagne. Um, <laughs> she hasn't changed. She still drinks now. Um, so I always say at least I succeeded in one thing is driving my parents to drink. Um, but I think this... Um, this, this is a quite an incredible event and um, I'm quite proud to be here and I think um, it's great that in Australia we do have this opportunity to explore these stories and that was the main thing about Heaven Bent was to have Australian experiences and stories that we could talk about and share in our own communities um, and I think that's probably the best way forward is to be able to share our stories. Okay. G'day. My name's Peter Batten and I've been a Uniting Church ordained minister for 20 years, uh, currently the minister at Northcote Uniting Church in that lovely hipster strip between um, Separation Street and the Town Hall. My journey, I guess, into LGBT and I issues started as a university chaplain in Albiwodonga and at that time... Um, there was a very conservative Christian group on campus that came out of the Sydney Anglican Diocese, which many of you know about the Sydney Anglican Diocese. It's one of the most conservative theologically dioceses in, in the country. And there were some things that were said in, that, uh, in a Bible study that they ran around gay folk. And as the Protestant chaplain on campus, I would get folk come knocking on my door saying, do all Christians believe this? And I would say... No, they don't. Let's talk about that. Out of that, I was invited to be part of the um, um, World AIDS Day celebrations in Albury-Wodonga um, on the 1st of December and then moved from that into the community health centre working with the, the health nurse and others around counselling, predominantly young people who had come from rural New South Wales and rural Victoria to Albury-Wodonga, Charles Sturt University, La Trobe University and Wodonga TAFE to study um, and then we began a support group on campus which I must say did not endear me to the other Christian group on campus but that's okay. I'm also a creative arts therapist so I have continued that work on and off for the last um, couple of decades around working with folk 
who are coming out who are exploring their own sexuality in the rural sector, the support networks aren't what are in the, the city and I think that that's uh, hopefully something that, that will be addressed. I guess as a person of faith, I always ask the question, faith in what? Faith in myself? Faith in the Collingwood Football Club? Faith in technology? Faith in nature? Faith in money? Faith in ancestors? One of my favourite theologians talks about we are faithing animals and it's that faith that has given me and I believe gives others a... Um, uh, and me, it gives meaning to life. Uh, as a Christian, I'm obviously very much grounded in the Christian faith. Um, over that time, I've also worked in the inner city, um, Melbourne, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, in the mental health sector, and again, working with folk who have been very much at the edges of the community where I believe is where Jesus placed himself, and as one, as a follower of Jesus, that's where I place myself. Thank you. You can see what an amazing panel we have here. You can hear it. This is a very, very special night. From the remarks that you've heard, it's also pertinent to disclaim this disclaimer right now. There is a spectrum of views in every faith that's represented here tonight and I dare say in every faith that's, that's not on the panel tonight. We are not suggesting that as we go into the four questions now, that the panellists are going to, in fact, be representing Christianity, the Islamic faith, Judaism. They're not. Yes, we're covering the Abrahamic faith, but it is their perspective. I, I need that to be clear. But I, I think it's also respectful that we acknowledge the range of views. And there are people that definitely come from all of the three faith perspectives who are not on the panel tonight who would have very different views and we're not in the room. So just bearing in mind that we've got a journey ahead of us and these are those views. We're going to go to the first question now. Maybe we'll start with Peter. And the first question is, can individuals retain faith or retain spirituality and embrace sexuality and gender diversity? Can it be done, Peter? Yes. Next question. <laughs> I think my starting point has to be um, a passage of, out of the Christian sacred text, out of the Gospels, John 10.10, 10, which I guess would be for me one of those foundational passages of text. Jesus came to give life and life in abundance, and an abundance that is so joyful it is more than happiness, more than this happiness culture, it is a deep-seated joy that can see us through the good times and the bad times. So I think in answer to the question, those of us of faith would, would, um, would say that, yes, that is the deep-seatedness that helps us through, as I said, the good times, the bad times, and as individuals to live out, live out from that grounding is what engages us in, um, I like to use the expression, keeping us sane in a totally insane world or the still point of a turning world, to quote one of the Christian, Christian mystics. The big issue, I think, around retaining the faith is not, is not allowing the, the winds of change to, um, to blow us in all directions. So this is why I think that one of the things that individually is that, that grounding in, in a faith and a spirituality. And I'd like to make that difference between faith, spirituality and institutional religion. We are all spiritual beings. We have a mind, body and spirit and that's how we move in and around and through this world. Institutional religion certainly has its place and I'm part of that and sometimes I have a love relationship with it and other times I have an absolutely hate relationship with it. Spirituality is that thing for me that grounds us deeply in, our, in ourselves, connection with, the, with others and connection with the other, be that God or divine or however you want to call that. Part of my, my, my artwork in working with others is to help them to tap into that spirituality, that grounding that can move through, um, say, those times when we do feel blown. So that would be my, yes, you can do it, but it takes that, that grounding, and that, that's hard work. It's hard work, and it does take community, but that's moving to the next question. 
I agree. Uh, it does. It is possible, and um, I think my my theory on it would be that it depends if you're meaning retain as in keep things the same, or if you're meaning retain keeping elements. I would say that individuals um, who go on this journey then have to be flexible and and allow it their faith and spirituality to be malleable, to be um, something that can change and develop and grow. Um, not I mean, don't see it as withering away or disappearing, but seeing it as a, as a growth, something changing, uh, and seeing it as a positive thing. Um, but the people on the outside that are looking at the individual changing, whether that be an LGBTI person who's needing to, to go on this journey, or if it's someone around them, um, you can't be in a rush. You can't let these things happen quickly. And I know my own personal experiences with family of trying to rush them, and it doesn't work. You have to give people that time to actually come to the, these places. Um, a great example is my sister, who, was, who also showed me that you should be honest about your, where you're at. And rather than just say, yep, I'm fine with you, she said, no, I'm not fine with you. Um, and she continued that and for a few years, but then she also said, but I'm actually trying to work through it. Um, and she's a psychologist, but she's also deeply Christian. And in her view, she couldn't work out how to connect everything in her life. Um, and I think it really changed once she had children and the children started seeing things differently. And I think that was part of her own journey. But if I rushed her, she wouldn't have been able to retain either me or retain the faith. And so it was about letting her take that journey in her own time. Um, and I think the most important thing is for people to is to find the common ground and to then find what the similarity is between people and then to actually work on that, work on the commonality. Yeah. 3CR, 855 am digital, 3cr.org.au. You're on Out of the Pan with Sally and we'll come back and have some more of the Darabin Interfaith panel very, very shortly. And... 3CR, 855am digital, 3cr.org.au. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Paul Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, straight out of New York City. I'm checking in with Australia on 855 on your AM dial. And remember, community radio is subscription-sponsored, and I think it's incredibly important to always remember that it's a different perspective. Check it community radio now and beyond. 3CR, 855 AM digital, 3cr.org.au. Out of the pan with Sally on a Sunday afternoon. Let's go right on with part three of the Darabin Interfaith Panel held in May 2015. Yes, I agree as well. For me, both um, spirituality and sexuality are deeply personal elements of who I am, I feel if I am authentic with God and authentic with myself, then I can, and I have reached the point where I have finally reconciled my religion, Islam, with my sexuality. But you know, when you have a a community or a structure where you're told um, and you're swayed and you're interfered with um, it becomes difficult for you to have that own conclusion on your own you know in Islam I can speak for myself you know we were when I was learning in Egypt and in South Africa we were never allowed to question the scriptures you know and for me it was only the last two years when I started questioning the scriptures I came to being a true Muslim. Before, I was an imam, but I don't know what type of Muslim I was. I was a Muslim that was taught what type of Muslim to be. Um, And that's what we share with the youngsters. A lot of Muslim youth have this mentality that it's black and white. It is not black and white. You know, there is... A very large gray area. And once, you know, there's that alternative shown to them, generally they listen. And that's the ones I say that there is hope in. That 
they can find, you know, ways of reconciling both their sexuality and their faith. A lot of youngsters that email through the Marhaba email accounts send emails such as, there was one that sent one today saying that, you know, her faith is important to her. Her religion is very important to her. But she said lately she's struggling with community pressure. So um, that is the challenge with Islam. But I say that from an individual perspective, one can and it is possible to reconcile faith and sexuality. So can you? Yes, you can. Perhaps well, we mentioned football before, with one exception, if you're a Richmond supporter, you've got to sort of settle for the fact that your faith will set, finish eighth or ninth every year out of 18. But <laughs> um, seriously, <laughs> I suppose for me, everyone, I think the thing that I'm getting here is everyone's journey is unique. And in a way, I embraced my sexual orientation and gender identity, tell the story that I you know, got to the truth for gender identity in 1995 and you know, cleared up one thing. Then, in about 1997, worked out that I was attracted to people regardless of um, gender identity, bi slash pansexual. And then an interesting thing happened in... Two things happened in 1998. I began to... Re I realised I had to live full-time as female. The other thing that happened, though, of great significance was I connected with the Jewish lesbian group. That was really important to me to get a female perspective on Judaism and one of the best things that happened was going to the um, Jewish lesbian Seder Passover service which put that female perspective on. I'll put the concept across which I think in a way, Noah, you touched on, which I'm going to call spiritual battery cables or spiritual jumper leads. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to plug into someone else if your spirits are down, if the batteries are running low. And to plug into them and get their perspectives helped me realise, well, Judaism, which can traditionally be a very patriarchal approach to things, um, there can be a matriarchal approach. And to hear the perspectives of Miriam and Esther in that story was quite um, wonderful. You can be yourself. Everyone's journey is unique. Some people will work out their spirituality first. Some will work out the sexual orientation, gender identity, etc. Sometimes it'll all come in in a big jumble, but the pieces assemble themselves. So... To quote Austin 316, can you, um, from World Wrestling Entertainment, can you be yourself in terms of spirituality and sexuality and gender identity? Hell yeah. <laughs> wow. It's phenomenal that people are sharing from their heart in this public environment the stories that they are. And, and I am so humbled to be here listening to everybody's um, direct personal honesty we're, we're really having a very special night so now we're going to take that first question and go from the individual to the community so the wording of the second question can religious communities retain faith or can religious communities can spiritual communities retain spirituality you could say whilst they are embracing gender diversity and sexuality Becky uh, absolutely, um, and one of the things I think we need to we need to all kind of, when it comes to community coming together and faith communities coming together, is is you know we don't understand everything. We couldn't possibly understand everything, and we're not always going to get it right. But one of the beautiful things that that we've seen already in communities coming together in the faith community, there's an event that is held, and uh, I think they do it once a year, maybe it's every couple of years, called a different conversation. And it actually started in Sydney um, as a result of one pastor who called himself the 100 Revs, and 100 pastors said an apology to the LGBTIQ community for the way that they had been treated. And as a result of that, communi communications and conversations began to open up. And in Melbourne, we've had, I think, two now called di uh, uh, a different conversation. It's where people of Christian background come together to talk about faith and sexuality, the impacts uh, that the church has on people in the LGBTIQ community, and it gives an opportunity 
for people to share their stories because when we talk about community, faith communities coming together to talk about LGBTIQ issues, one of the major areas where we see connection happening and relationships build is when we're able to share our stories. And so in these safe spaces where people are able to share their life experiences in a safe environment, relationships develop because in the end we're we're human beings and when we start to see like we're hearing today when we start to see people's personal uh, journeys and understand well they're just a person you know like me and they might be different in this aspect but 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 we're the same here and we have that common ground where we can start to have conversation and communities come together and that's where we see things well start to come down we had the leader of the wife of the leader of one of the biggest churches uh, here in Melbourne, who I met my first year here, and she's the one who actually said, "I see Christ in you," you know. And and here she was on she was on Joy, I think I think it was Joy just a couple of weeks ago, talking about her journey in discovering the people that have been hurt from ex-gay ministries, and she's brilliant. For those of you who know Nicole, I mean, she really has put her heart on the line for this community. And it's through relationships and it's through these conversations that these type of uh, walls come down. And when they do, it's massive. You think one person can't make a difference, but they really can. And she's a person who's who's shown that, who, who is willing to stand up and say, you know what? I was wrong. And so I think when it comes to community and embracing sexuality, she's still a Christian. She still loves Jesus. Nothing has changed there. Actually, she's probably drawn a little bit closer to him because Jesus was, you know, a friend to mostly, to everybody, but had his heart around uh, the marginalized. And so I think she actually feels that her journey has become even more enriched as a result of it. So I think the relationship and the community and the conversations is how, that's how we come together and that's how we start to see some of these walls come down. I think that's really important. For the, I can speak for the the community that I come from, the Muslim community. We have a long way to go. I feel that the Jewish community and the Christian communities have gone far ahead of us. But look, you know, I am an eternal optimist. I tell my partner and to write in my stone and a bloody idiot at times. <laughs> Spaces are being carved out. Um, there is the first LGBT-friendly mosque opened a couple of years ago in France, Paris. I know Imam Lutovic, the man who started it. Last year I was invited to attend a conference in Cape Town organized by a group called the Inner Circle, similar to our group, but larger followers and they have money. This year, we have launched the GQMN, which is the Global Queer Muslim Network. Um, It will be an umbrella network with about 70 groups, similar to ours, globally, that is. There is, I sense, some sort of awakening happening um, amongst the youth mostly and that is because of events like this you know um, they're willing to at least sit down and talk about it the old ones not yet Um, so I say the hope is on the youth the youth you know because if you have a person like my father you know who has uh, some level of academia, but you know he has that tribal type of way of school of thought. You can never win. You can never win. The youth, and you know, through education and opening, empowering them to have to find their own two feet. Not the system that we have here. The system that we have, the welfare system. Now it's a, an entitlement system. You know, we have kids where I live between the ages of 8 to 10, that if you tell them, don't do this, they want to negotiate with you. (laughs) You know, when I was 8, 10, I didn't know negotiations. (laughs) But, you know, there's hope in the youth through educating them. Um, They're going to go back home and hopefully talk some sense into the parents because 
parents even are reaching a stage now that, you know, there was one parent who called through the group, our number, and she said, brother, her son was, he came out, and she said to me that, you know, I'm not going to choose, she was having issues with her husband. I said, so where you're at now? What do you want to do? She said, I'm not going to choose anyone over my son. So I said, look, that's a good sign, you know, so just hang in there, we can still patch things up. So that's a big step forward, you know, for a, a mother coming from the culture that I come from to accept her son and not only accept him but stand against the husband. It's a big step forward. So we are slowly progressing and um, there's a lot of work to be done, I feel. 3CR, 855 AM, and we're about to wrap up the final part of our uh, the interpa- interfaith discussion panel held in the city of Darabin in May 2015. Why Gender is a group for trans and genderqueer questioning young people and friends. Why Gender runs social events and have monthly meetings in the city. Check us out on Facebook or see ygender.com for more info. Ygender.com that's one of the great support groups in Melbourne for trans people, that one for young trans and gender diverse people. Well, can't, will it be getting easier for people of all ages, but including our young people, trans, gay, lesbian, bi, in terms of faith? Um, let's see if we can get some conclusions for the future as we finish up the discussion of the Darabin Interfaith Panel. Question three. Can faith communities play a role? in promoting the inclusion and the stamping out of discrimination against LGBTIQ people. Maybe Noor will start with. Um, Last year when I went to Cape Town, we came with this, we had a faith forum for faith leaders. You know, it's a lonely corner to be at if you are a man of faith and have a different sexual orientation and coming from the background that I come from it was a very difficult um, corner to be in for many many years I used to think I was alone thankfully last year I've met there was Imam Da'i was there Imam Da'i Abdullah he's African American based in DC he started LGBT activism within Islam 40 years ago. Um, Lutvic, the one who started the mosque in Paris, was there. Mohsin Hendricks, the one who started the inner circle, was there. Il Farouk Kaki. Um, They have started Salam, Vancouver and Toronto. And they have big um, groups over there. There was a, a family, you know, I sort of sensed a family that I had been looking for for quite some time. And we were at the same, on the same wavelength. So at the forum for this religious leaders, what came out of it was three things. One, who are religious leaders? Who are they? We have, when I was here in Melbourne, I was on the board of imams of Victoria for six years. I was the youngest. And they didn't know. But the interesting thing was there would have been 62 others, including me. And all, I would say, um, you know, without being too harsh, would not be willing to sit and have an open discussion about this topic like we are. Or when I was on the board, they were maybe seven, eight years now later, so I don't know. The things that came out of it was who the religious leaders are, number one. Um, We have put, in Muslim faith I can talk about, we have put people that are, the term I like to use, gerontocrats, yes, you know, um, which is government by old men. So, and you know... um, mentalities like what you have recently seen on the TV at Al-Taqwa College, you know, about the 
school principal who was saying if a girl runs, you know, she has... The, so it is a, a belief system that supports that. So how to challenge that? Um, the three things, who the religious leaders are, what the LGBT, the Muslim LGBT um, communities, what their needs are, and the third thing that we came with, how those needs could be met. Absolutely, would be my answer to this one. In fact, I think it's pivotal that religious communities are at the forefront of these. One very good example would be Canada. And I lived in Canada for only a couple of years, in the US for probably about three years. Um, but the United Church of Canada, for those who aren't familiar, is pretty much identical to the Uniting Church here in that it was the same sort of merger of, of the smaller um, Presbyterian uh, Wesleyans and Methodists and Congregationalists. Um, the United Church of Canada pretty much was at the forefront of um, driving same-sex marriage um, in Canada. Uh, the Metropolitan Community Church, which is an LGBTI-based church, um, of course, was at the very front, but it didn't carry the same weight as when the United Church of Canada, um, which I believe is still the largest church in Canada, I could be wrong, um, actually drove that. Um, and then the Prime Minister um, at the time, who was Catholic, used his own faith as his argument for same-sex marriage. And it was the faith that I think then actually cut through not just the law, the change in the law, but it changed the way that people thought about these issues because they saw it as an issue of faith. It was framed as a religious freedom for certain churches like the United Church of Canada to have the choice to marry same-sex couples if they wanted. So it was framed in a, in a religious understanding that people were able to grapple with. Writing Themselves in Three, which was a report which I talked about before in my research on um, same-sex attracted and gender um, questioning young people, that through doing that, we never asked a question in the, in the entire study on religion. They never asked a question. But there was over 300 people out of the, in the participants talked about religion when we asked them questions. Sadly, the majority of them brought religion up in their answers when we asked about suicide. But they then went into great detail about religion and their background. And in those stories, they talked about the negative impact religion had. But some of them started to, and we've seen every year, the study gets done every six years, we've found that each time the study gets done, people are talking about how religion has helped them understand their sexuality and has helped them come to terms with things um, and has actually made things better. And this is a real change that we're starting to see in Australia and, and, and more so here than we've seen elsewhere. But it's also the place where people frame their views. It's where they're socialised. A lot of these young people, the reason why years later, even after they've changed their faith and come to terms with things, they're still suffering from mental illness, is because of the fact that growing up, that's the only things they heard were negative things about LGBTI people. And I can give a, a, a little personal example. I remember very early on, and my sister confirmed this when we asked each other about whether we had the same memory, is um, Sunday school being told that um, Aboriginal people all went to hell before white people came to Australia because they had... Um, that we hadn't got here in time to save them. And that stuck in both of our memories from separate Sunday school classes because we were in different age groups. And that really framed, for me, for the, the whole of my childhood and adolescence, the way I saw Aboriginal people was that, they, one, they didn't have the ability to come to the same conclusion as us, so they weren't as good as us. And that really had to have a lot of change. And so religious change in this area will change attitudes and it needs to be at the front of that. I can pretty much tap into comments that have already been made. I think the one one of the things that the Jewish community realised um, was that you know for a community that's in Australian terms one to one and a half percent of the population, you can't really afford to lose anyone. And so, if you are losing people because of issues to do with mental health and losing them completely, they saw that as a major issue. And enough people had objectivity rather than, I'll say, use the term, the self-rationalising ability that the Jewish community doesn't like anti-Semitism, which is a form of vilification. So they're saying, well, how can we vilify people in our own community? And so it is about trying to find, we'll say, common ground in that sense with, with other areas. How can people find you know, where there's or consistency and um, balance rather than that sort of selfishness or self-rationalising? And I also agree that 
you know, I just, I firmly believe every individual has something unique to offer. And if faith communities want to keep all their people, then find out what that uniqueness is. And so every individual can, can offer it. And if it involves that intersectionality between GLBTI and a particular faith, that's something that needs to be nurtured and encouraged. Just want to say hi to you and salams to Brother Noor. My name is Najma and I was born in the Islamic faith. And I say that I was born because I just followed what my parents did, the rituals. And my question to you is, listening to all of you speak, I'm just feeling so confused. Whether accepting all these progressive and these wonderful ideas, am I just diluting and watering down the basic principles of the faith I believe in? Or am I broadening them and giving them a new dimension, I guess? Uh, alaykum salam. Yes, uh, to answer your question, Najma, alaykum salam wa I think um, one of the first, if not the first verse that was revealed to Prophet Muhammad from the Quran says, read, iqra. To answer your question, you're broadening it. For I had studied in Egypt. One of the men who taught me tafsir, the commentary of the Quran in Al-Azhar University, he wrote an article called, if you Google it, it should be on Al-Jazeera's website. He titled the article by Historical Misleading Interpretation of the Quran. Now, for a person who studied fiqh, Islamic law and commentary of the, the, the Quran and that that is a, an earthquake you know for your foundations to come back to your question again in the obligatory duties of our religion there's two types there's what's called fard kifaya and fard ayn fard kifaya acts that are obligat- obligatory on everyone which is the five daily prayers etc etc and acts that are not on everyone because some have done it, so the rest don't have to do it. For example, imams that uh, learn the law, memorize the Quran and so forth, because there are some who have done that, the rest don't have to do it. So what I'm trying to get at is there is a lot more to our deen than what we have been taught or told. Hasn't this been amazing? I thank all the panel personally, but Darabin City Council is going to have the, the final word of moment of, of uh, thanking the panelists specifically. It's been an incredible evening. In Hebrew, we say three words. Love your neighbour as yourself. And perhaps that's the feeling where that applies to everybody, irrespective. And all the faiths can bring that on. I think that's a nice way to end it. Darabin Interfaith Panel, um, moderated by Abe Schwartz, um, featuring myself, Luke Garn, Becky Bauer, Noor, and um, um, Peter, Jens- Peter Jensen, and um, from Northcote United Church. I get out of here and make way for freedom of species. Um, it's the tail end of the show, so we'll do a bit of Blues Brothers and just shake a tail feather. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.